Welcome to Night Shifts. Jeff Sharon and Andrew Glukov with you here on this uh, Wednesday, May the 10th. We've got a lot going on that we're going to be talking about. So we're doing this thing in stages, recording this thing kind of throughout the day as uh, news comes in. We had a lot of news coming yesterday. Of course, we have uh, football going into the American Athletic Conference Tournament, single elimination, much to my chagrin. Eric Lopez will join us later to talk about that. Uh, we've got women's golf against the NCAAs. Bryson will be in later to talk about that. Of course, baseball moving its way through track and field. Uh, we also have an interview with uh, that Kyle Nash had with former UCF receiver Rennell Hall, who's with the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. He's playing for an XFL championship this weekend. So we'll get to hear from uh, from Speedy on uh, on his chase for a title uh, in the XFL. We had several UCF players in the XFL this year, Drew, but uh, but uh, Speedy managed to latch on and he's been uh, he's been a key offensive contributor for Arlington. As we're talking about, we're going to talk about UCF football first and uh, a quick little recruiting note that actually dropped in, or actually a couple of recruiting notes that that dropped in. Uh, first of all, and I think most interestingly, Drew. From the transfer portal, in comes a quarterback, Xavier Williams. Uh, he was previously at Charlotte, another South Georgia kid. Uh, and uh, he has announced that he's coming in to, uh, to UCF. Pulling up his stats here. Uh, Williams was, uh, w- was recruited originally as a, interestingly enough, as a pro-style quarterback out of um, Colquitt County in South Georgia um, saw some action for uh, the 49ers. See, he's listed at 6'2", 200 pounds, um, still has uh, three years of eligibility remaining. Um, saw his most action against Maryland back on uh, September the 10th uh, in uh, garbage time duty, but he was 19 of 35 for 191, two touchdowns, no picks in that game. Uh, for the season, 34 of 67 uh, a shade over 50%, 420 yards, two DDs, two picks. Uh, but this is uh, it, this was a really interesting get because I think this is uh, the first indication that we've had uh, of what Darren Hinshaw wants to do at the quarterback position. Of course, with Tommy Castellanos moving on, I always felt like Tommy was more of a run-first guy. Williams is more on the pass-first side. So what does this, uh, Andrew Glukov, tell you about where UCF's quarterback position is post-John Rice Plumley? Uh, well, we saw signs before, you know, even before Hinshaw got hired. You know, Dylan Risk is more of a pass-first uh, quarterback, you know, freshman. Uh, this is a very low-risk move. You have three years of eligibility. Uh, this is still a very uh, young guy, a lot of room for development. And, and you can kind of make him your own. Uh, what probably helped steer him to UCF is his former coach, Will Healy, is an assistant and analyst at UCF now. So you got let go from Charlotte. He got hired home, down here. Uh, I think that, that played a role because he, he did get a couple of offers uh, to go elsewhere. And, and, and he knows he's not coming here to start this year. And I think that's what a lot of fans don't really understand is you're, you're, you're going through the portal. You're talking to players. They know they're not starting this year. So if you've got guys who are seniors or, or top end players, 
they're not going to come here. They know they're not going to you know start. They already have a starting quarterback. Uh, John Rice Plumley has that position locked down. Just you know, accept it. Uh, it that that's just reality. So now it's about building depth and planning for the future. Because I mean, you have you know Timmy McLean, who's probably going to be your number two guy, and then you have uh, you know Risk and and this guy. Uh, who, um, you know, they both have room to grow. I mean, you know, one's a true freshman, one's a, a redshirt sophomore, a lot of, a lot of youth there. And, and this is, this is part of the roster management juggling is you have to always be planning for ahead. Yeah, but I, I think it's, a, I think it's overall uh, not a bad move. It's, it's definitely low risk. I, I was really, I, I agree with you on, on, on all that. I think there's, you know, obviously the need for quarterback depth was was key. Um, I'm interested in how this kind of moves, you know, the quarterback position over from, you know, away, from, uh, uh, you know, toward a little bit more pass for us, like we were saying. Um, do you think that there's a possibility that, you know, obviously, with, you know, with Williams there, I mean, Charlotte got him th- obviously thinking that he was that, that he was going to be in the mix uh for them, he was the number thirty ranked quarterback according to ESPN when he came out of uh, South Georgia. Um, does he seem like he could have the inside track to the starting job in twenty twenty four and beyond? I wouldn't go that far. Uh, okay. I think all all bets are off at this point. It's going to be strictly on how that development comes along. Uh, from an experience standpoint, you're looking at, at McLean as your guy, but mm-hmm. you know, that's what this year is all about is about building that experience up and, and, you know, install that new offense, which, you know, they've been working on throughout the spring. Yeah. And like, we're and, you know, like we saw in the spring game too, is like the whole idea of keeping the quarterback in the pocket as well. Mm-hmm. To, you know, like we saw with JRP when he was in there, I think this is going to be, that's, that's, that to me was the biggest change that I saw, you know, from one year to the other with Darren working with the quarterbacks is increased patience in the pocket and the and, footwork and the footwork. You were exactly right. I mean, he, I remember uh, they were showing a little video clip of some of the drills and then fans online were kind of laughing at, but you know what? Those drills matter. Uh, yeah. Footwork was a major difference between what we saw at the end of last year and what we saw towards, you know, spring practice into the spring game, major improvement. Uh, I, I think uh, Hinshaw's uh, taking a very, hands-on approach of, of teaching these fundamental skills. And I, I think uh, he's really embracing uh, his role at, at his alma mater. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of the ball, another transfer that came in or is reportedly coming in, and this just broke this this morning uh, from, uh, well, listed originally from Washington State, but really spent most of his time at Incarnate Word, Isaiah Paul. He's a linebacker out of San Antonio, Texas. Redshirt senior, so he's a grad transfer, 6'2", 232. Um, this guy was a uh, was a top ten tackler for uh, for Incarnate Word over over the course of his first three years, and has been battling some injury problems since. Originally planned to go to Washington State uh, and enroll for spring of 2023, looks like it didn't work out over there. So he's decided. So he decided to go back into the portal, and is now coming to UCF. We've talked before about the need for linebacker depth. Um, to what extent do you think Isaiah Paul helps that out? I mean, it doesn't hurt. Uh, you know, UCF's first unit 
for linebacking is probably the strongest defensive unit on the field at this point. Uh, there, you know, you've got you know Johnson back, you've got Yates back. Hey, I, this is this is a really solid first unit, and then the depth starts to drop off. So uh, he, he's going to slide in. He's got one year of eligibility. You know, he'll probably he'll probably get in on the on the rotation. Uh, do I think he's going to be a huge con- uh, contributor? Hard to say. I mean, it's injuries are you know are, are a question. Mm-hmm. You know, last year was rough, but I mean, he did pretty well in in uh, in prior years. You know, I, I he he takes up you know important depth uh, and in a yeah. good way. Yeah. So where how are you feeling right now overall about UCF? in the portal. I mean, there's always going to, there's always that lag, right? And I think Mm -hmm. that's the part that I wish I could tell fans more about is you have to give away, you got to go into the portal first before you can come out of it. Right. You know, so there's always going to be that lag of, Oh my God, we're losing all these guys, but then, Oh my God, we're getting all these guys. Right. And I think that the getting of guys is much slower over time because they're going to, they're going to go through a recruiting process and more staggered than guys who you know go through the you know maybe go through their right they go through they go through spring ball maybe they complete their degree then they all it seems like they're all announcing at the same time that they're going into the portal it's it's like in the nfl where you know free agency hits at midnight on whatever it hits i forget and everyone's a free agent all of a sudden and it's and it's like uh and there's like a free for all and then all of a sudden the signings kind of trickle in, so that's the same situation that we're in now with college. But how do you feel right now about where UCF stands in the portal acquisition phase? There was a chart that was posted online some time ago comparing the value of talent lost versus the value of talent gained in the portal. And UCF ranked in the top 10 in talent gained, uh, net talent. Uh, UCF has gained a lot more than they've lost in the portal over the years. Uh, You know, think about, you know, how many starters has UCF lost in the few years since the portal started? It's a handful, but it's not a large number. They've gained more starters. You know, you know, you look at the wide receivers, you, you lost, uh, you know, Ryan O'Keefe, he was a starter. Uh, that, you know, Jalen Robinson was a starter. He kind of just disappeared and fell off at Ole Miss. Uh, but, I mean, you gained Kobe Hudson. You gained Javon Baker. I mean, you you actually got better at the position than if you held serve. Yeah. You know, look at running backs. R.J. Harvey, uh, when Isaiah Bowser came in. And those are you know, transfers in. You know, Demarcus Bowman, transfer in. Compared to what you brought in on your own or lost through the portal. I mean, who's the worst thing they lost in the portal? Kadarian Richardson? I, you know, when you look at, you know, at the talent that's come out and come in as an overall, UCF's come up ahead. And, and that's, that's a, you know, that's attributed to the work that the coaching staff does. Uh, do they need work on bringing in freshmen? Yes. Yes, they do. It's not good enough. Uh, it's getting better. And, it, and they're reaching new heights every year. Um, you know, join a new conference, everything. But in order to be competitive in the conference, they need to do better. And they're working towards it. But being a masterful work in the, in the portal will, will help in the short term 
and fill in holes and in other areas that they're 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 not hitting right. Like offensive line, you know, the recruiting aspect from freshmen's been rough. They've been fixing it within the portal. Uh, you know, look how many starters they've gotten through the portal over the last couple of years. You know, enough said. Yeah. Uh, no, same thing with with your your other you know skill positions. Linebacker is a huge one where the the portal has saved that position. Uh, even even defensive back, uh, you know, uh, Devon Wilson was a transfer here. You know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these great guys that we kind of eventually just kind of took for granted as being one of one of us uh, had to come from somewhere else, and then a lot of them came from another school. I kind of have two thoughts on it. I think the first thought is you mentioned you know you got to do better on freshman recruiting, but. And, and that's true, but I'm okay with the strategy of like we got to hit the portal now because when you're jumping from the American to the Big Twelve, and I've told people this all the time, this is the biggest conference jump we've ever made. Oh, by this far. is this is bigger than you know, independent to the MAC, MAC to CUSA, CUSA to the Big East slash America. This is the this is a much bigger jump in terms of talent level. So. You need grown men in here. You know, you need guys who are grown men that you can plug in and play right away to make up for the size differential and the depth differential that you're going to have. So that's the first point. The second point I thought on it was, you know, it's I'm okay with the idea of. I think people worry a little bit too much about like the the production of the incoming transfers because you see guys who were productive for us move on to other places. Like Dylan Gabriel is a good example, right? Obviously, a clearly productive player. Ryan O'Keefe, a clearly productive player. The players who come into UCF have had limited playing time, but that's okay that's the re- i think that that's that's sort of the difference there is these guys are moving up and they're they're either moving up or moving laterally because they're coming from places where they you know they were really talented but maybe got stuck in the depth but maybe got shuffled in the depth chart a little bit or if they're moving you know laterally over from like Javon Baker I think is a really good example like you know there was a lot of talent on that field for Auburn he figured he could come here and be much more productive and has been much more productive for UCF than he was at his previous stop. So, you know, you, you can look at that and say, well, we're getting all these guys who are, you know, I hear fans sometimes say, oh, these guys are just, quote, cast-offs, end quote. That doesn't mean they're not talented players. It just means that they're looking for playing time and they're getting it here. And it turns out they're pretty good. Yeah, and, and not only that, but in some cases, that's flat out not true. Kobe Hudson was the team leader for Auburn in receiving when he went to the portal. Right. I mean, we, you know, you knew the guy had talent. Uh, uh, Javon Baker didn't have much from a stat standpoint. But you know what? Numbers don't mean all that much, uh, as we've seen. The guy can ball. You know, he's, he's proven it. And, and, you know, I had him pegged as my breakout guy last year, and he, he certainly did not disappoint. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I have high expectations for him this year to have an encore. But, you know, look at some of the guys that came in, you know, uh, Jason Johnson, you know, was highly 
uh, touted out of the FCS level. You know, Walter Yates had had a good resume coming in. I mean, these are these are players. Those guys that, all worked. They all worked. Uh, even uh, um, Jarvis Ware had had good numbers out of Missouri before he got hurt. You know, the, these are players that that had results that had put in the work and, and had a resume. They're not just castoffs. People leave for various reasons. We have to we have to understand that uh, there could be a coaching change. Uh, there could be just a desire for something different, you know. We, or we, even a coordinator change, an assistant change, right? Yeah, like it, it could be really. Every player has a story, and we have to respect the fact that they're there. They're leaving for a reason, you know. One wanted to play for another coach. Uh, one is a grad transfer, wants to try something different, wants to go somewhere different, have a different experience. You know what? I'm cool with that. Uh, you know, everyone, there. This is their life. You know, they they wanted to make the best of it. You know, go go take care of yourself. Go 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 make that make pretend money. You know, go do whatever you got to do. Well, well, you're, well. That, I mean, that's the thing that that also I always come back to is if they weren't football players, well, right, maybe. or at or athletes of any kind for that matter. You know, to what extent was a big deal if a guy transferred? You know, oh, not at all. I, like I mean, I went I went to graduate school. I, I mean, I went I went to UCF for my undergrad and and then went to graduate school at a different institution. Like in theory, like if I was a football player in the era of the transfer portal, you know, even though I wasn't, you know, then it would be, you know, when my time at my undergrad was over and I got my degree, I would have been like, hey, everybody, I'm going in the portal, you know, respect my decision. And uh, and then I end up at another institution. I was like, oh, this guy's going in the portal. You know, it's everyone has something to complain about. (laughs) I think think it's it's not. Well, it's not even that. It's it's like it's. Put aside the fact that these guys are ball players, right? Well, they're, they're people. They're people. And as like, students, they have the ability and the right to transfer to a place that they that they deem to be a better fit. And they're they, you know, they're legal like, adults. They can make that decision. I do like the fact that there's windows now where you can't just up and up, you know, whenever you feel like it. Yeah. Remember, the scholarship is is basically an agreement between the player and the school. You know what? You and it's a one-year agreement. It's a one-year agreement. Now, That's what everyone forgets. Now, it may be said, oh, it's going to be a four-year. We'll just, you know, we'll we'll renew it every year and rubber stamp it. It's still technically a one-year thing. They just have committed to giving you four years on that scholarship. But right. it's still one year, and they rubber stamp it. So one year, you play the season, they give you the scholarship. Then, you know what? It is certainly your right to take your ball and move, and move on somewhere else. Uh, but, you know, while they're taking care of you, you got to take care of them. And I I think that's a fair uh, expectation between the player and the school. I think that I think that's fair. You know, outside of the one season, not a lot of fans are more consistency. Well, you know what? This is also business. You know, this is mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing the business aspect uh, players. Uh, their brand is their value. They have to go where they feel they can maximize themselves and be happy. And you know what? Yeah. If it's not here, if it's not there, okay, that's that's your right as a player. Uh, I think I think fans uh, sometimes forget that there's a business aspect. You know, the coaches, the staff, they may work hard for for the team while they're there, but it's a job. You know. I remember people were upset with Danny White not scheduling UCF after he left. Well, guess what? 
his time at UCF was ended. That was the end of the job. Sure, he wants him to do well, but he doesn't owe them anything. <laughs> he now has a new job with new focus, new requirements and, and priorities. Uh, same thing with players. This is a job to them, too. You know, your job is to go play football and win games. And we're, you know, we the school are giving you the ability to get a degree in exchange. So I mean, there's a business agreement here. So guess what? It's a job. It may not be school employee, which would open a whole can of worms, but it's still a job. You know, say what you want. <laughs> so we have to respect the fact that there's a business aspect of it. And unlike the fans who invest money into the program, players aren't like that. They they are their own brand. They're they're not investing in UCF brand. They're investing in, you know, John Rice Plumley. Well, they, well, they're investing. Well, it, well, they, they are investing having, in, in well, the school's brand through what they're doing, right? It, I mean, there's some may, extent to that. Well, like when he was at Ole Miss, his brand investing in his brand aligned with Ole Miss. Then he left. Now it aligns with UCF. So it, it's you know it's. It's like you changing jobs. It's no different. You work hard on yourself and that you do the best job you can makes the company you work for look good. And you're making yourself look good in the process too. It's no different. Power to the people. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on to some other football news. We have a former UCF player going for a championship this weekend. Y'all remember Rennell Speedy Hall, who is on... Uh, UCF in the 2013-2014 era. Well, he's still in pro ball, and he's playing for the Arlington Renegades of the XFL, and they have made it to the XFL championship game. They will play Saturday, 8 p.m. on ABC and ESPN Plus against the D.C. Defenders for the XFL championship. This, of course, is the Rocks League that, remember, back in 2020, the then Dallas Renegades uh, were part of the league, but Rennell is with the Tampa Bay Vipers. Uh, that league was cut short due to COVID, but they restarted it this year. Of course, the Orlando Guardians were here in town. I was their PA announcer for, for a little bit. Terrence Plummer was on that team. Um, and we get to see Rennell Hall as a kick returner, wide receiver, and part-time running back for the Arlington Renegades, head coach by Bob Stoops, interestingly enough, go for a championship. And uh, Rennell actually spent some time with Kyle Nash earlier this week previewing the XFL championship. And uh, here's some snippets of uh, the conversation between Kyle and Rennell. Rennell, how you doing? This is Kyle Nash. Uh, I'm with the three-point conversion, but I also write for the black and gold red. So go Knights. I had to throw that in there. Probably only so nice. Only a matter of time before you and I uh, cross paths with that in mind. But um, uh, to throw that in there, first of all, you know, we were talking to Donald Payne earlier. He said that kind of the key to you guys uh, getting that championship win was getting hot at the right time. Um, what do you think was that spark that got you to over the hump and into uh, take the roughnecks out and become South Division champions? You know, I just pretty much uh, what we've been emphasizing the whole week during practice, uh, just pretty much everyone playing a full, perfect game. You know, of course, it's the game of football. They're going to be Emmys, MAs, and mistakes, but like our coach, coach always say, you know, if, you know, if everyone is on the same page and, and that's physical mindset, mentality, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to perform to our best. So I think that was a key thing, you know, coming into last week's game. You're kind of asking a question that's kind of a, a bigger picture concept. Uh, you're a guy that's 
played for a, a number of different leagues in different spots. I remember even some time with the AAF, even if I uh, remember correctly there. Correct. Okay. Yeah, correct. Um, what do you think is different about the XFL and your experience there? And and um, what what is it what is it that stands out to you that you, you kind of enjoyed more in your XFL experience here? Um, definitely that, that sticks out more is the support from the fans. You know, the fan base is much bigger. And also with the XFL, you know, having the names behind it, you know, the rock is behind it. Um, that's pretty much every kid's idol growing up. So, you know, just his brand being behind it, you know, the Under Armour brand, I think that plays a, a big, tremendous part, you know, in fans, you know, rallying and tuning into our games. You mentioned in 2013 and all that, you kind of have a unit of UCF being fancy, as it were. How does it feel to have that essential, yeah. uh, kind of that essential, be part of that, that essential? It feels great, man, you know, um, to make history with the school and um, like a big thing nowadays, uh, you know, those, the new coaches who came in, the players, you know, one thing that the coaches stand on is making sure they're very knowledgeable on to where this program is today and how it got there. So it's always home every time we go back, you know, every time I go back, I've been back to UCF recently, you know, the players know I am like, hey, you're speedy, aren't you? You know what I'm saying? It's a good feeling, you know, just to know they know where the program came from. So it's a great feeling, man. I mean, a guy named Speedy playing next next to Adrian Killens, at least for part of the season this year, is is aside for anybody who's playing UCF. And the last UCF thing I'll I'll bring into this conversation, the painting behind me is an Aaron Evans original. So I'll leave that at that. There. Oh, dope, dope. That's what's up. That's dope, man. I like it. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Rennell and thanks uh, also to Andy Seeley for helping us out. Uh, on that sound. Uh, of course, uh, shout out to Kyle, who's a little under the weather. Couldn't join us to talk a little bit more about this. But again, the XFL championship game uh, at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC and ESPN+. Plus. Uh, it'll be uh, Rennell and his Renegades taking on the D.C. Defenders, who are the best team in the league in the regular season at 9-1. Their only loss to the Orlando Guardians. All right. Let's move on to goings-on in Tampa this weekend. And for that, we turn it over to Eric Lopez and Bryson Turner. All right, welcome back here. This is Night Shift, Eric Lopez and Bryson Turner. As we're both, depending on when you're listening and watching this, we're either preparing to leave to go to Tampa or we're in Tampa. It depends on your perspective. Uh, me and Bryson, alongside our very own Nick Porcelli, will be in Tampa this week. Bryson and Nick will be there the entire week. I'll be going back and forth from Tampa Orlando to cover the American Conference Softball Championships and the American Track and Field Championships. We're going to break both of those events down here in Tampa. Plus, we'll also break down the end of the UCF golf season. Uh, Bryson will break that down, Bryson. But this is exciting, Bryson. You've got your bags here. You're packing. I'm packing. We just, you know, it's uh, it's kind of wild here. Uh, we're taking the show on the road. Honestly, considering that, that the big we, we don't really know where these championships are going to take us in the Big 12 and how feasible it is to travel to these championships. So considering the these final AAC championships for softball and track are going to be right down I-4, it only makes sense to take advantage of them because these could potentially be the last conference championships that are within 
a feasible traveling distance for us for quite a while. The only other time I could see it happening in the future is with the tennis championships, but right. I think that would take some time. Correct. Uh, certainly that's valid. Uh, baseball will be in Clearwater later uh, in the month. But let's get into it. Softball, some news. Obviously, UCF will play Memphis 12.30, the start time, 12.30 Eastern. They've moved the start times up due to weather concerns in Tampa, of course. I would argue that's one week too late uh, because UCF comes in as the two seed. Their RPI as of Monday was 41, which has some people concerned. They're right on the bubble. There's the bracket. If you're watching, uh, Bryson has it up there, his American Conference softball bracket. Uh, we, we expense no uh, budget in here. But the Knights play Memphis. They just swept Memphis, Bryson, up in Memphis all three games. But the problem was it hurt UCF. UCF went from 33 in the RPI to 41, in part because Memphis is in the 200s in the RPI. So the UCF schedule strength got hurt. It went from 40 to 64. Their average RPI win went from 112 to 126. This is why I'm anti-computers deciding stuff, because they are clueless. But it's put the Knights a little bit of a peculiar situation where they need to get some wins this weekend. I think they got to get to the final to feel comfortable about making the NCAA tournament. They got to get off to a good start against Memphis, uh, who they just played, which is always bizarre that you just played a team three straight times, Bryce, and now they got to play them a fourth. Yes, it it is a very, I want to say, I want to say odd situation a little bit, but I think it also comes with the fact that playing a team back-to-back times is is such a mixed bag because you think that after facing Memphis these last few times, a few times, you see, I was like, all right, we got a handle on him. We got a handle on him. But that also gives Memphis three times to be like, okay, here's what we did wrong. Right. Then the, And this is what we could do right the last time. I still remember the tennis, the tennis uh, last year where they played USF in the final regular season match and beat them and then lost in the opening round of the American Athletic Conference Championship to the Bulls. I believe it was, it was the women's team last year. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, it's tricky. Four times, it's tricky. It's, just, it's a very tricky thing to do, and it, and it would just be... And in this type of situation, a loss here would be devastating to the... Well, here, here's the good news. This is why I'm excited to go to the Big 12. In the Big 12, you don't have to worry about teams in the 200s, RPI, hurting your resume. Uh, so that that's a positive for the future. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. Um, yeah, no, it's concerning. I think, like I said, you look at the bracket, UCF's the two, Memphis is the seven. The winner plays the winner. South Florida's the three. East Carolina's the six. South Florida's the host, Bryson. So you look at their bracket. They got to open with Memphis. Then potentially going to have to play South Florida at their park, a, basically a road game, although hopefully there are a lot of night fans to upset that. But they're going to be playing them with a trip to the finals on the line, and that's where it gets tricky. Because if South Florida were to beat UCF, that could get that could really make things murkier for UCF in the NCAA tournament. They would have to root for Wichita State or somebody, I think, to knock off USF so that USF doesn't steal their bid. So hopefully, it doesn't get to that. Wichita's the top seed; they get the buy as a result of winning the regular season title. Personally, I think conferences like the Americans should put a buy to the top two seeds to help them uh, help become a multiple B league consistently in the America. But that's a whole other story uh, for another time. Uh, they're the Wichita's the top seed. They'll play the winner of Tulsa and Houston, which will be the early morning game uh, to start off that ter- tournament on Thursday uh, there. So 
I think for the Knights, get to the final, and I feel good about going to the tournament. Probably a three seed in Tallahassee with Florida State hosting, possibly playing Florida or an Auburn type as a two seed in Tallahassee. So it's going to be a tough road either way for the Knights, but they're battle tested. They've played a tough schedule. And Bryce, they had some big awards on Wednesday. Sarah Willis, the headliner, winning American Conference Pitcher of the Year award, becoming the third night pitcher to win Pitcher of the Year, joining Mackenzie Otis, who did it in 12, 2012 in CUSA, and Shelby Turnier in 2015 in the American. This also makes it seven out of eight years that the American has had either a UCF pitcher or a USF pitcher win Pitcher of the Year. So that streak continues there. Uh, she was first team all-conference. UCF had eight players in their all-conference awards uh, acknowledge there, Bryce. And what stood out to you on the awards? It's what stood out to me is that, you know, I mentioned, I remember you just singing the praises of Chloe Evans this entire season, and yet we don't see her in the first team? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I was a little perplexed by that myself. Uh, let me read you off who UCF got awarded. Sarah Willis, first-team all-conference pitcher. Jada Cody, catcher, first-team all-conference, uh, third straight year, first-team for Jada Cody. Shannon Doherty, remember Bryson last year? She got shafted, didn't make all-conference at all. This year, first-team all-conference, so I'm really happy for her that she got uh, acknowledged. Michaela Macario, first-team all-conference at second base. Kennedy Searcy, uh, first team all conference in the outfield. I would have put her in that DP non pitcher slot over Bree Contu, and that could have perhaps created space for Chloe Evans, but they didn't do that. Uh, Haley Morgan of Tulsa, Addison Barnard, and Lauren Lucas of Wichita State both uh, got the outfield nods over Chloe. I, I agree with you. Chloe should have been in there, uh, to say the least. So those are the first teamers for UCF. Second team for UCF, Jasmine Williams makes it in the infield at second team. Uh, so does Aubrey Evans. Aubrey Evans does not win Rookie of the Year. That goes to Wichita freshman Alex Aguilar, the pitcher, who gets acknowledged there. Chloe Evans, as you mentioned, makes second-team all-conference. I think Grace Jewell should have been a second-team all-conference pitcher. Uh, over. I would have picked her over potentially a Lauren Howe or a Kylie Nash. They kind of did some things there to move Nash to more of a DP two-way world player, but uh, it is what it is. Those are conference awards. Uh, Wichita State staff won the Coach of the Year award. Cindy McKinney, no surprise, won Player of the Year uh, for them. And then Kathy Garcia Soto of USF, Sammy Hood of Wichita State shared Defensive Player of the Year. So uh, those are the awards there. But, look, it's about the, the field right now for the Knights here, Bryson. And this is a stressful week. They need to take care of business. The best-case scenario, win the tournament. Go out on top in the American, and you can celebrate on Sunday night, relax, and watch the selection show. If you lose in the final to a Wichita State, not great, but you're feeling you're still probably in. You lose before that, it gets very stressful, Bryson, very stressful to the point where UCF could be one of the first four, last four in or one of the first four out. They might need some help. This has been a wacky week already. Michigan was upset by Penn State. Uh, that's a quality win UCF's I'm not going to get more than likely now. Mississippi State lost in the opening round of the SEC tournament. So there's just a lot of wild results going on in college softball, and you just don't want to get yourself in a situation where the committee decides your fate. And uh, so the only way to do that for the Knights, I think, is to take care of business this week in the conference championship in Tampa. We will be there for that Memphis game, Bryce, and we'll have coverage 
on our YouTube channel, uh, as well as on Twitter and on Instagram, Bryson. Part of our big coverage this week from Tampa. Yes, it is going. We're going all out for this one. So basically, Nick and I are planning to Nick Porcelli for the for those right. of you. So are planning to give you a, as much all access view of what we're doing out in USF as much as possible. You'll get to see us kind of go back and forth between track and softball because Nick and I are going to be doing doing that. So you get to see a little bit of what the how the other half lives on the other side of the state. And then, of course, we'll get we'll we'll post some highlights of plays that we see there and a few recaps of the day. And then at the very end of everything, uh, Nick and I are planning to assemble together a a full vlog of recapping the entire experience and showcasing, you know, the uh, the I would say the fun hecticness of everything, because two conference championships going on practically like on the same university grounds. It's going to be wild. Yeah. It's going to be wild. Wild thing. And as far as the softball tournament goes, Eric, I mean, when looking at the awards and looking at this bracket here, I honestly think that if that while you don't want to get UCF doesn't want to sit on their laurels, I think this is the half of the bracket that you would prefer UCF to be on, right? Because you have because on the other side of the bracket that UCF would not see until the final is Wichita for obvious reasons. Houston, who has two unanimous selections to the first team in Bree Contu and Tariq. Yeah, and Tariq Coleman, although UCF swept them. I actually, you know, but you're right. They're dangerous with Kenneth Wilkie as pitcher. And then Tulsa is the other team in that bracket who actually beat UCF in Tulsa. They've been playing some good softball the last couple of weeks. So you're right. It's a tricky bracket there. But again, single elimination should be interesting to see. All the action will be on ESPN+. Plus. It'll be Ryan Urquhart and our good friend Francesca Enea, who's been my analyst for the last three seasons doing UCF games. She'll be the analyst on Thursday. Uh, UCF's very own Athletic Hall of Famer Allison Keim will be in the studio role with former USF Bull great Georgina Corrick on the studio. Morgan Uber will be the sideline on Thursday, then host the pregame and postgame shows with Allison and Georgina Friday, Saturday. Uh, Tiffany Green and Aaron Miller will take it from there Friday, Saturday. The championship game's on the deuce, 11 a.m. Eastern. Weather permitting, the semifinals would be at 12 and at 2.30. As of now, if UCF advances, they would play the second semifinal. All of it on ESPN Plus, championship game on ESPN 2 on that. Let's go over to track. Walk over, as we like to say, Bryce. What should Give us a thought. What should we look for this week from UCF track and field in the American Conference Championships? So one of the reasons that the end that the UCF took the indoor crown earlier on this spring is that they they racked up a lot of points by just inundating the sprint events with UCF athletes because this UCF team is deep in the in the sprinter category headlined of course by the great Renaya Jones and Renaya uh, and and actually talking to Renaya which you can see on the black and gold banneret YouTube channel she actually talked about how that she really wants to have a full UCF final in sprint events so if they do that then that would certainly really help things a, help things a lot and i think that would be very key in doing that because uh, in, in doing that essentially you get all UCF athletes in the in the final then you're going to block everybody else from getting points and that's the big key in these conference championships you've got to get a lot of points and that that's how you're able to do that everywhere as far as everywhere else 
Jasmine Scott Kilgo and Ashira Collins headline the jumpers. Of course, you have Natalia Madison and Holly Cassells who are going to be competing in the heptathlon. And then uh, and then you, we have the distance runners who have been putting who've actually been putting in some solid performances. Isabella Richardson and Penelope Sosa, of course, have been have been headliners. But Mariana Rodriguez has really come into her own this semester by I think she, I've seen her set PR uh, PRs and raise herself up the event rankings multiple times this season. So and of course, we have Adrian Adams in the discus throw as well she is one of the i see she looks like she is one of the premier discus throwers in the country at, at, at this point so i would honestly give you see uh, she's 11th in the country by the way adrian adams in the discus throw so honest i would say that this considering this team this team is also number 21 in the nation right now coming into this tournament i think that they are definitely the odds on favorites coming in it's really just a matter of execution, and I think that as long as they can they can block that they can take as many points as they possibly can in the sprint events, then we could end up get seeing another, I would say, large margin of victory. But again, the margin of victory is really going to come down to how many sprint UCF sprinters can get into the finals. And hey, with the likes of Renia Jones, Latasha Smith, Kyle Williams, Deja Lampkin, Beyonce DeFreyas. Um, we could see that happen. So it'll be a very it'll be very interesting to watch and keep an eye on. It will get going this week. And obviously the final the uh, it'll all wrap up Sunday, right? Sunday night, right on there. That time frame for the track and field championships will be awarding a champion. So things will get started on Friday, May 12th at 11 a.m. with the heptathlon 100 meter hurdles and the hammer throw. So essentially, if as long as inclement weather doesn't doesn't mess up the schedule like it is on thursday uh basically what's going to end up happening is we is we're going to is we'd start at track at 11 a.m softball will be at 2 30 so that's going to be right around when the heptathlon 200 meter dash is happening well, 12 30 now remember it's been moved up to 12 30 uh, no that's friday we're talking oh, friday. friday all right well for yeah. now you're right you're right friday you're right. I, that's why i said for now friday friday is when the track stuff so softball has the day to itself on third on thursday albeit earlier in the day Friday, as long as things are scheduled right now, soft, track will start the day at 11.30, soft, uh, at 11, softball will be at 2.30, and track will be going throughout the day until uh, 7.55 when the final, when the 10,000 meter run starts. It's going to be after that, that's day one. Day uh, on Saturday, things start a little later in the day, a little later. Um, most uh, most of the events start in the afternoon. Heptathlon still starts at 11 a.m., but a lot of a majority of the day, the day's events are going to occur and relatively in the evening time. And then Sunday is when the track is when track and field has the day all to itself. So because uh, uh, the, the because, the, of course, the AAC Conference Softball Championship is on Saturday. On Sunday, it has the day all to itself. The action starts at two th at two thirty with the triple jump for women's on on that day and it will end at eight and it will go throughout the e the afternoon and evening and end with the awards ceremony at 805 all of this action is going to be going down at, on espn plus throughout the port throughout the duration of the entire day so if you have split screen go ahead and put on some split screen or if you have or what or you can just pop on track just check how, th how things are going in between inning breaks at softball Say hello to us while we're there. We're going to be all over the place in that facilities uh, on campus all week long. 
So that's the story from Tampa. Bryson, Nick, and I will be there. Bryson and Nick will be there the entire week. I'll be back and forth throughout the week on the softball end. Knights, of course, need some wins there. Uh, I think a trip to the final gets them in. They have quality wins over Ohio State, win over Louisville, win over Wichita State. You know, we'll see how it goes. Michigan selection Sunday night, 7 o'clock for softball there. Uh, UCF golf. Let's quickly go to golf, Bryson. Their season came to an end Wednesday at the regionals. They were in position going into Wednesday to have a chance to be in the top five finish in the regionals up down there in South Florida. Where is it? Harbor? Uh, Palm Beach uh, Gardens. At the Palm Beach, Beach Gardens. Gardens. Yeah. Shelby Turnier's old uh, stomping grounds, former UCF softball pitcher. They were in the mix in the top five. They were ta- uh, grouped together with some of the USF players, but unfortunately did not work out, Bryson, for UCF. They didn't make the top five list, so their season comes to an end. A great season for Emily Marin and UCF golf, but what kind of transpired for them? It ended up just being a 12 – essentially they shot a 12-over round in both the first and the third round. It was a course – that played very tough the entire week. The first place team, Michigan State, finished at eight over. That is how tough this course played the entire time. UCF was able to keep within two strokes of fifth place, which is what they needed to get to to advance most of the time. Unfortunately, this third round, you just saw teams like LSU and Arkansas just have under par days while UCF just had a had a similar experience to the first round where they ended up shooting a 300 overall as a team they ended up finishing 7th so unfortunately it's unfortunate they're not going to make it um however i think some there is some hope for the future of this team in the individual and this is why so UCF's highest finisher was junior Jess Baker who finished at one over on the entire tournament and keep in mind only five golfers individually finished par better Jess Baker was just below that so she finished tied for six solid positioning individually from her she could be she looks like from as long as things as long as no transfer portal Huli happens she is slated to be back back as an as a senior for next season and then you have true freshman sandwich to suit them finishing in the top night and tied for 19th at five over on the tournament so solid performance from those two people of those two women who look like coming coming back next year would be kind of the 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 center of this of this team that that emily Marin can then build that can then build around going forward so it's unfortunate that it ends like this because i think that this team was a very strong one coming in but sometimes that's just how golf can be sometimes you just have a bad sometimes you just have a bad tournament and enough enough of UCF's players had a bad tournament where they weren't able to make it up there with the rest of the team on on what was already a very tough course so it's it's a tough it's a tough championship to make and um you know and but you know I think that it's still a good season as far as making the regional. Emily Marin has been doing that very consistently over the course of her of her career, and I think that I think that the, the pieces are there for another solid run next year. So, uh, very well, very well done. Just uh, it, it's just, it's always tough when a season ends. Unfortunately, no doubt. Good year though for UCF women's golf and Emily Marin and company. They're uh, tough in there in the regionals. We'll see what happens with track and field. This week, as well as UCF softball, Bryson and I will be chatting around throughout the week. Make sure you follow us in your proper places. Eric Lopez, Elo, my own Twitter. Bryson, we're going to follow us and follow you. 
So you can follow me at, at it's Bryson Turner on Twitter. And of course you can follow, you can follow all of the action at, at UCF banneret underscore S B N on Twitter. And don't forget to go to the black and gold banneret YouTube channel where you will, where we will try to upload the post game content from both tournaments as fast as we possibly can we are going to be in the field and so if usf's wi-fi is anything is anything like ucf's is notorious but we are going to try and get it up as soon as humanly possible but you can also go on the youtube channel right now and see some preview interviews that i did with head track head coach dana boone renaya jones and and jumper jumper jasmine scott kilgo and we'll have coverage all weekend from the softball as well, the American Conference Championships, the final one for UCF as they look to try to go back-to-back -back conference tournament champions. The Knights trying to make it a third straight championship game appearance. they got to win two games to do that. They will open with Memphis on Thursday. All right, for Bryson Turner, I'm Eric Lopez. This has been our preview. We'll see you in Tampa. More of Night Show after this. All right, welcome back. Jeff and Bryson with you here now. Thanks to Eric uh, for uh, for filling us in as he goes back and forth between Tampa on the road. <laughs> Nightship podcast on the road, on the road. The road shows out back home for the moment um, before he heads back down to Tampa for the softball. Once again, Bryson with us. Hey, Bryson. Uh, we've got uh, first real quick. I wanted to get in with um, baseball here because um we just watched them come up. Uh, they're on the road for, the, for this long road trip out here. And so far they've split, uh, or excuse me, they've lost uh, three of the five games on the road trip. They took two or three out of Tulane, uh, down in New Orleans against Tulane. Lost two to nothing to Ohio State in Columbus. And then uh, just uh, a few moments ago, down in Dayton, lost to Greg Lovelady's old side, Wright State, uh, eleven to seven. Um, you know, once again, uh, the bullpen uh, just struggles for this team. They were up uh, five to one after three, and then uh, they were up six to two heading into the bottom of the sixth, and then Wright State drops seven runs on them. In the uh, in the bottom of the sixth, uh, and that was pretty much the ball game right there. Um, I think it has to be pretty. If you're Greg Lovelady, it has to be pretty frustrating to see how you know it, you they're doing what they can. And I would love to see a breakdown of the starters versus the bullpen in terms of the overall stats here because um, it's really hurting them right now. They're still above you know five games above five hundred at twenty seven and twenty two. Um, and the only, but you know, the only way they're going to get into the NCAA tournament is is by winning the American, and this bullpen remains a question. Honestly, it's funny because the pitching has been a very mixed bag. Either they were actually pretty good or actually really bad. In this case, the pitching ended up not being very good. In particular, Dom Stagliano has been having a bit of a rough go of it as of late against Wright State. He, he gave up six runs in 1.2 innings. And then in the Tulane series in game two, where they lost via, via run rule, they, uh, he, he ended up giving up a six, five runs on six hits in, in a period of about 1.1 innings. And that's what led to Tulane running away with that game. 
other than that, though, Tulane games one and two for uh, or one and three, for instance, and the Ohio, even though they lost two nothing to Ohio State, aside from that bottom of the first, it was actually they kept them scoreless throughout the rest of the game. So, in some ways, I think that this is a little bit of an encouraging sign because at least it means that some of the pitching is doing good. I just think that a few pitchers are having a bit of a rough go at it at the moment. And these midweeks, I think, and yes, you mentioned that they got to win the American. And so these midweek games really mostly serve as an indicator on where this team is, where this team is. And so going into this Cincinnati series, obviously it's a very packed stretch for this game, for this team. But I this one going into Cincinnati now that it's a conference series, you'll be like, all right, you got to pull out the wins here so you can get as be, um, as good a seed as possible in the conference tournament. But I think that the pitching is trending upwards, even if it's just a teeny bit. I think it's just I think just a couple of, of individual pitchers just need to work out some of the kinks that they're in right now, and the better that they can look going into the conference tournament, the better. The one bright spot, I think, on the pitching staff, I think, has been Nasir Victor. Um, he is in, through 18 appearances, he's made only one start, um, but he's 3-1 and one with an ERA of 2. That's best on the team and a whip of 0.89. Um, and he was showing some of that against uh, Tulane earlier this, uh, earlier this week as well. Um, you know, it, it struck out five in two innings uh, in in his in in his one appearance there. Um, he has I'm looking back for he hasn't actually allowed a run since April the 18th. So, you know, even though I, I mean I'm looking back and I'm seeing you know the starters you know like you were saying you know the guy the four starters who've started the most games so far uh, Rudy Gomez, uh, Dom Stagliano, Jacob Marlowe. And uh, looking back through it, actually, and Cam Leiter, they all have ERAs over five. But at least with Victor, you got a little something going there. I wonder if he's not the guy who they may lean on come conference tournament time when it when they go down to Clearwater, um, especially in late game close situations. No. Yeah, late game close situations. The back end of the bullpen, I think, is completely set. Kyle Kramer. I actually think is probably going to go down as one of the better closing pitchers in this program's history because already his total saves is getting up there. Then yeah, he's got eight saves this year, 31 and a third innings. And I should, you're right. I should give some, give some props here to Kyle because he's, uh, he struck out uh, 48 of the 108 batters he's faced. So between him and then having a setup man like Nizier Victor, the back end of this bullpen is fine. The problem is that middle portion because the starters, I actually think that they kind of have our work have, they've been trying to work that out. I think for a while and Rudy is solid at Friday night. I think that that's not going to change going forward. Cam lighter though. He did have a bit of a resurgence on Sunday again against Tulane where he went five innings and got a career high 11 strikeouts on the night so he struck out half of the batters he faced he faced 22 batters and struck out 11 of them now he walked six so that is that's something that we've kind of seen from him but he's a true freshman that's something that they gotta they kind of have to work out with him 
And honestly, I just feel like as far as pure stuff goes, I really think he's one of he's the best pitcher in this bullpen, if not the second best after Rudy Gomez. So, well, I mean, that's that's what you get with a freshman, right? I mean, you, you know, it, that that outing you were talking about was was five innings. That was the second longest outing of the season, right? Behind so, the six innings that he threw against Stetson, and like you said, you know, he walked six, but he struck out eleven. You know that that's a very true freshman-y kind of performance, right? right. The good news is, is the walks were actually pretty. It seemed to be pretty spread out, and that's really where you want to do it. You, it, it, if you walk maybe one batter an inning, then maybe, then maybe you can win with that. But you just got to make sure you don't do it consecutively. And sometimes that's just what we've seen this team do. Sometimes is walk multiple batters in an inning, and then someone gets a hit, and then boom, like three or two or three runs end up scoring. So, but you have the starters. And then you have the middle reliever part. We've seen Dom Stagliano come in in this kind of middle reliefy type of environment in the past two appearances, and they just have not worked for the most part. Like uh, for the most part, I feel like Stagliano. I feel like he's a starter. I don't know why they've moved him back there, but maybe it's because they did that with him earlier in the year. But I honestly think Stagliano's more served in the starting role, especially since they started Cameron Crane in on saturday and, and only went like 1.1 inning in like an opening pitcher type of situation and you know how in the mlb we've seen that so it's i think that i think the biggest key that for for lovely is that he just needs to really work out what is the best scenario to put this pitching staff in so that way they're firing on high cylinders when we get to clearwater well spinning it forward now to the more pressing businesses three games at cincinnati um they're staying in town uh, and then uh, they face the Bearcats, who are twenty-seven and twenty-one, or excuse me, twenty-one and twenty-seven on the season. Uh, but along with UCF and Memphis, are eight and ten in the conference, tied for fourth. Um, and this is one of those things where, like, now you're really kind of up against it, and you need a really good series on the road. Um, which is which is always a, a a tough ask. I mean, even though Cincinnati has struggled in recent years, you know, <clears throat> it's really tough to to pull two or three on the road against a team that you're even with in the standings, especially late in the year when you know you're trying to figure out you know it, we're we're think, it, it, in a situation where things are kind of still a little bit more fluid. So, w- what's the story right now? What do you want to see from this team? This weekend, as they take on Cincinnati, they because they only have you know seven games left in the season. Home, back home for Bethune Cookman on Tuesday, uh, and then three against Wichita to finish out the year at home, and then it's time for Clearwater. So it's crunch time now. You got to work out that pitching staff. I think that that is going to be the name of the game. I think the batters, for the most part, are are fine. You may have the odd bad game like Ohio State. The batters just weren't really doing it in that one. But for the most part, the hitting is looking really good. Heck, Nick Romano managed to get a homer to kind of close it a little bit against Wright State. It didn't lead to a win, but the offense was able to work. They, they just, the pitchers just didn't get any run support. So – it's going to end up – I think we just really have to keep a close eye on the pitching to see if we get any kind of momentum going. This this is this series is really – season is really reminding me of 2021 where – because this team is already kind of hovering around that 500 mark, which is around this mark – around this 
point where they were then. And so I think if you're Love Lady, you I think the goal is you want to make it to Clearwater above 500. Ideal uh, now they're already like 27 and 22 right now. Yeah. So you, so you have a little bit of barring work. a real disaster that should happen, you would think. Right, exactly. But that, again, like you know, sometimes you just want to have those small goals. You want to be able to keep above 500 and then you want to get your pitching in a position where you're confident with it or at least you know what you're dealing with going into going into Clearwater. Do you have a general idea of what order you want to go to, what 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 position do you want your pitcher to go in in certain situations against a certain opponent, maybe, once we get a little closer? So it, I, it's just been really trying to figure out this pitching staff throughout the entire season. I mean, beyond Rudy Gomez, they Rudy Gomez, it's just trying to figure out what do you do to start and then in the middle – uh, 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 in the middle of games, I mean, at least the back end is sorted. Is sorted, and man, they've needed them this year. Yeah. But yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing with UCF and Cincinnati. Um, believe it or not, when you look at the team stats in the American, UCF is fourth in the conference in team ERA behind ECU, Wichita, and Memphis. Um, they're also fourth in the conference in team batting average to. 85, and they're playing a team that is dead last in the conference in both those categories, team batting average and team ERA. And I think it's interesting that UCF with a team ERA of 5.43 is still in the top half of the league. So I think the real goal here is not so much staying above 500 in, in your overall record. I think the real goal is getting to 500 in conference. If you can go... It, with six games left, you go four and two. That means you, on average, took two out of three of your last two uh, uh, in each of your last two series. That gets you to five hundred. If you get above five hundred, that means that you swept somebody. So um, th- that's that's kind of where you know where I would you know if, if if I were sitting in Greg Lovelady's office, I'd be thinking you know that's kind of like let's let's press for that because that would get you. Over 30 wins for the season, above 500 in conference, and I think the other thing too is you know you're starting you're you're getting ready to play for seeding here, and you know as I look at the um, standings, I had them I had them pulled up here for a second, but unfortunately I pulled them down. But as I look at the as I look at the standings right here for baseball, all right, so it's it, it, remember the tournament is played in those two double elimination pods. And then the winners of those double elimination pods play each other in a winner-take-all game. Right now, UCF would be in a pod with number one Houston, number five Memphis, and number eight South Florida. ECU, Wichita, Cincy, and Tulane would be in the other. And, and I actually wouldn't mind that one bit. I mean, you get a shot at, at, at Houston to kind of help yourself out. Um but if you fall down, you know, I, I, there's something about that cluster of ECU, Wichita, and either Cincy or Tulane that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit, you know, that, well, I mean, that's the, you're not going to, you're going to get a, a tough game from all those teams, no matter, you know, no matter what. I think that, you know, if you, you know, in a double elimination situation, I wouldn't mind facing up against USF again. You know, 
and uh, and you know if you have to fight your way back out of the loser side of the bracket, okay, face Memphis. All right, um, maybe Cincinnati sneaks in there, but if UCF takes care of Cincinnati this weekend, it's not likely that that would happen. In fact, they'd probably fall down below Tulane. But yeah, I think that that's the real consideration right now is what do you want that little mini tournament that you're going to play to be? And you know the question is, you know, do you do you want to play? You know, do you want to play Houston personally? I would still rather play Houston in the double elimination side of the bracket as opposed to ECU because ECU right now 35 and 14, they're 26 and four at home um, this year, and Houston is you know even though they're still hanging in there at 12 and five. In the conference, they're still overall 28 and 19. By the way, Houston, um, let's see, are they playing tonight? Yes, they're playing at Rice tonight. So, um, you know, that'll give you kind of an idea of, you know, we'll have an even better idea of what they're doing. Uh, actually, let me see. Uh, that game started at 6.30. I'm going to see if we could pull up some stats here, at least as of right now, while we're recording this on Wednesday. They, oh, Houston's up 6-3 to three on Rice. Okay, Rice scored three in the first, and Houston came back, scored six in the third. So, um, you know, I'll take, you know, it, it, given given the choice, you know, pick your poison, I'll take Houston right now. So, all right, that takes us over to track and field. They're actually competing for a conference championship right, you know, this weekend. The outdoor uh, conference championships for the American uh, will take place. Starting Friday, May the 12th, and going through Sunday uh, at USF in Tampa. Um, UCF women's track and field team, of course, the reigning indoor champs uh, in the American and looking to close out their run in the AAC with an outdoor championship and try and pull the double. And uh, Bryson Turner, you got you, you got some face time with... Uh, uh, both head coach Dana Boone and a couple of key members of UCF's track team as they prepare uh, for this one last conference meet. Yes, I mentioned this in the previous segment with Eric, but to reiterate on the Black and Gold Banner at YouTube channel, you will find the videos of me speaking with UCF track head coach Dana Boone, track and field star Renaya Jones, and jumper Jasmine Scott Kilgo as they prepare to head down to t- head down to Tampa and both of them I would say are one are some of those athletes that I mentioned last week that are that are right around the top of their game going in and that is what and that is an ideal position to be in in a conference tournament environment let's go ahead and listen to a brief clip from each of those interviews from all three of them this is uh head coach uh we'll start with head coach Dana Boone and then Renaya Jones and Jasmine Scott Kilgo <laughs> What does it mean to you guys be able to kind of weather the season in the top 25 the entire time? I think it's a great accomplishment. It's It was something that as a staff we wanted to accomplish um, when we came here five years ago to to see that into fruition. But the goal is, you know, to be um, after the postseason, still be a ranked team. So um, but having the, the, the season ranking is definitely a trend in the right direction. So very, very proud of this team and the staff for all their hard work. I think for one, I like to mention that I do trust Coach Boone's ability to place me in whatever event that I need at that time. So for me, conference is always the one, the 100 hurdles and the 200. That's conference, that's period. Um, It was very new for me to be on the four by four this year. I used to run it in high school, 
that was the first time in my collegiate career that I ran a 400 and I was very glad to be on the school record holders and to break it. So that was a new feeling. Uh, the feeling after the race was actually very horrible, but um, just being versatile, it makes me feel like um, there's nothing that I can't do. You know, uh, that doesn't mean I would do 800, but being able to just, dally around in it I just love having so much versatility and being able to fill in where my coach needs me uh honestly it feels amazing I feel like everybody goes into their senior year like oh like this is it like and with a bang and I just feel like that's exactly what's been happening for me this season like right from the get like PRs like record-breaking performance like it was just like perfect you know yeah and especially this being like my second year triple jumping I was just like completely overjoyed like I knew it was coming like because how good practice and stuff and everything was going but I just was like oh my gosh like I'm so close and then yeah the weekend after it was like boom and I was like ah! like I was just so happy oh my gosh I can't even explain that feeling of like all your hard work like paying off like it's an amazing feeling all right uh for the full interviews that Bryson did with Coach Boone along with uh Renaya and Jasmine make sure you hop over to our YouTube channel Black and Gold Banneret on YouTube Bryson what are the events that you are going to be paying close attention to um starting on Friday because they're going to be streaming this thing um I believe on uh, uh actually it's going to be uh, where it's going to be ESPN Plus, right? So uh, this will be imp- this will be pretty interesting to watch. Um, there are some highlight events to take uh, to keep an eye on here as UCF uh, gets ready to go, starting right away on Friday. Yes, so they're going to have the heptathlon to start out, but the big events that you really want to keep track of are the main sprint events. So the 100 meter dash, 100 meter hurdles, 200 meter dash, 400 meter dash. Those four events were a lot were key or their their indoor counterparts were key reasons why UCF won the American Athletic Conference indoor championship because they essentially inundated the finals of those events with yeah. UCF runners. That was one of the reasons why UCF got as many points as they did. That's why they ended up winning the championship by as much as they did. So I think that that's honestly a I mean the in when I talked to coach Boone she mentioned that you know you want to have each athlete do the best they can and that basically means getting them to the final and Renaya of course mentioned that she wants would she like to have a all UCF final which honestly would be a very fun thing to see but if they do that then I think that then I think they're going to be in good shape in good shape for the most part so what you're going to want to look out for is you're going to want to look out for the 200 meter dash trials, which are happening at Friday at 7 p.m. That mm-hmm. is going to be one to watch. That's probably going to be the main event to watch on uh, main event to watch that day. I think out of all of them. Then on Saturday you have the 100 meter you have the 100 meter hurdles trials, so we get to see Renaya Jones in action there. The 400 meter dash. And then the 100 meter dash. So Friday night, so Friday evening is going to be one to watch. Going to be the one to watch as well. And and of course, uh, Nick and Nick Porcelli and I are going to be in 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 Tampa, keeping track of all of this. But 
if there's anything that we that you, that I can tell you to keep an eye on now is keep an eye on how many UCF athletes can make it into the final because the more UCF athletes get in that final, the more points for UCF as a team, which means a better chance, which means a better chance for UCF to come away with a fourth consecutive American track and field title. Yeah. All right, and let me get let me get Nick in here real quick too, because uh, th- like you alluded to, Bryson, as we wrap up here on the show, this is going to be a busy, busy weekend for all you guys in Tampa. So Bryson and Nick and Elo, who mentioned earlier, you all are going to be down there at going back and forth between softball and track. So give us a preview of what you guys have in store this week. So we're heading down tomorrow morning. We're going to be covering the first softball game against Memphis. Then Friday, uh, that's when the track tournament starts. And at that point, it's that's when it gets crazy. It's going to be a free-for-all. We are literally going to be running back and forth between stadiums, checking out everything we can. We're both expecting both teams to go really far in this tournament. Hopefully they win them both. And no matter what happens, we're going to be covering them both. You know, I used to – as you guys know, I used to live in Tampa, and I actually used to run on the USF campus, so it's going to be a little nostalgic for me. It's like I'm re- I'm visiting my old uh, running routes. And you have and you have particular ins- insight here because, and I want to see if we can get some of this before we go, Nick, because you know you as a you as a runner, you understand the nuances of different facilities and different surfaces sometimes, and you know, where the advantages are for certain runners, you as a distance runner in particular. If you can, if you can give us a little bit of insight into the facility at, at South Florida and how it differs from UCF and where there might be some advantages or disadvantages for UCF and some of the things that the Knights have to look out for. Uh, so to be honest, the track at USF is almost pretty similar to the one here. I've ran on that track a couple times during training. I actually got kicked out one time because they left the door open and I wasn't supposed to be there. That's a real story. Uh, but honestly, the only real advantage I can think of is just that this is a team that's going to have to travel and they can't sleep in their own bed. Because really, other than like the stands, which doesn't really have an effect on you know, the actual running product, it's pretty much the same thing. Like It's, a, it's an, another part of Florida, so weather's going to be the same. Track is almost exactly the same. It really shouldn't be too much of a difference other than they're just not getting to sleep in their own bed. Mm. Friday in Tampa, we're looking at a 40% chance of rain. It's going to be hot. It's going to be in the 90s. Saturday, 50% chance of rain. High again in the 90s. Sunday, it should be rather nice. Just a 20% chance of rain as well. So it might be humid. I mean, I think that's that's the other thing. And and the thing is with some of these track meets is that the delays are a real pain. For the distance runners, yeah, that's that's really going to suck. It sucks to run in the humidity, but at the same time, that everything you just said, that's pretty much just a normal day in Florida. So, right. Hopefully they're, hopefully they're used to it. I, they'll be ready. I have faith in them. All right. So make sure you follow us on the Instagram account. You guys will be kind of doing a little bit of streaming here and there from there as well. Um, as we go between softball and track in Tampa this weekend so and by the way huge thanks to you guys this should be fun you guys go there make sure you have a lot of fun out there because this one i loved covering track and field uh one time uh i was able to cover the uh conference usa track meet when uh ucf was in conference usa 
um, and and hosted it. That was a real blast. It, it was it was like a little mini Olympics, and and I really enjoyed it. It was it was just a fun convention of people. So we're going to be watching that. We're going to be keeping an eye on baseball at Cincinnati, of course. Elo at softball in Tampa for the American Athletic Conference um, championship. UCF gets underway against the Memphis Tigers, the seventh seed on Thursday at 1230. Remember, that's been moved up because they're concerned about that weather. Uh, and weather always seems to be an issue with the AAC softball and baseball sometimes championships yeah. um, as well. So that's something we're going to have to look at. And this, by the way, this is going to be UCF playing Memphis for a fourth consecutive time after beating them three in a row to close out the regular season. So thanks again to Elo at Eric Lopez Elo. Make sure you follow him for all the latest. Bryson's at It's Bryson Turner. Nick is at Nick Porcelli 2. Uh, also, thanks again to Drew, Stat Boy Drew, for breaking things down. And thanks to Kyle uh, as well, the SOTG for the student of the game, for uh, getting us uh, on board with Rennell Hall. Best of luck to Rennell this week in the XFL Championship game in San Antonio, uh, where he will ostensibly be returning kicks for the Arlington Renegades. We know who we're rooting for uh, in that game in particular. Um so that'll do it for us here on the Night Shift Podcast. Make sure you follow us, UCF Banner underscore SBN on Twitter. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Thanks to all you guys. And one last thing, get well, Kyle. He hasn't been feeling too well of late. Kyle, we're thinking about you. Feel a little bit better uh, as we head into this weekend. Enjoy yourself as we have plenty of UCF sports to cover for you this weekend. For all of us here on the Night Shift Podcast, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Go Knights, charge on.